All right. We are live. Anybody need less than five? I only have two. A couple more will be made in there, so. Let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer for a few seconds. Thank you, O oh Lord, for this beautiful morning, for sunshine and pleasant weather. And we recognize and we are grateful that pleasant days like this are made more pleasant by the fact that we are your children. We thank you for being our Father and bringing us into your family through Jesus our Savior. Bless us in the acquiring and the search for knowledge. Forgive us if we sit upon knowledge and boast in it. May we use it to grow and to draw closer to you and to brighten our lights as we shine in the community. And may we always be keeping our eyes open for seekers who pass through our circle, circle of influence. <clears throat> may we be connectors. May we be teachers if you give us that gift. May we examine ourselves to determine our gifts from you and use them in service in your kingdom. Extend your kingdom in this area, we pray, O oh God. Help us to have the attitude of connecting with you and drawing closer to you day by day that the world, the, the community around us may see and that you may, you may be interested, O oh Father, in allowing people to be a part of us because we are putting you first and not the world. This is our desire. We ask that you'd help us in this goal, and we praise you and thank you for all things. In his name, amen. All right, adversity and tragedy has been the topic. Not studying an Old Testament book. Not We're in the Old Testament quite a bit in text, but this is a topic. It's a little different. Instead of reinventing the, work, the, the wheel, we are looking at lessons written by a human being. <clears throat> so you're kind, of, uh, you're, you're kind of trapped into following the, the, the author's thought processes. We're kind of tra trapped in following the author's thought processes, but we want to bring it alive and bring it home and see what we can 
gain from it. Was there anything? Let's see, we had moved from uh, four. This author uh, uses, he quotes from uh, C.S. Lewis occasionally, who makes some, some pretty good points concerning what we call quote-unquote Christianity. Sometimes, sometimes C.S. Lewis needs to be interpreted. <laughs> but uh, I want you to draw your attention to page 10, lesson 5, number 2. And again, it's, it's, uh, I'm not going to point out every time that I agree with this guy or disagree with this guy. But we want to mainly learn overall principles and how we can, are there any takeaways, anything we can apply, apply to us, and examine whether, you know, you, you can bring out whether he's misapplying scripture or not in your, in your viewpoint. Number two, John, do you feel like reading? Read that point two down there on the bottom on page 10. It's going to take you on to the back side. Despite the harm inflicted by Satan, God will not be beaten by preventing man from exercising free will. Without free will, without the ability to make moral choices, we would be more mere robots. Mm -hmm. We'll get to those two questions in a minute because the first one is for sure, for sure. Well, they're both they're both important. So the robot concept, the robot concept would be human beings being programmed to serve God out of necessity and not from the emotions of love and thanksgiving. From coming from individuals that were made in the image of God. So being made in the image of God, what does that imply again? Being made in the image of God, that's kind of a, that's a big topic. But what does it mean? Okay. Because God is spirit. The only time flesh is involved in relation to God was when? Mom? When he came in, into the flesh and put on flesh. Right? Which is a beautiful thing because now he... Can I put it that way? He, he uh, how's Hebrews put it? He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Right? But, uh, yeah, he, we're, we're made in his image, but what does that mean? Being a spirit, what, is, what does that mean? You take a shot at that, Ted? Okay. Okay. 
So Ted used the word eternal, which immediately makes me think of Ecclesiastes verse, he has set eternity in their hearts. So there's more than, more than just this carnal, time-bound, time-restricted time period that we are so used to here on earth. Uh, Ken, spirit. Yep. Wouldn't, re wouldn't remain in fellowship with him. That was a critical point. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. What are some other what are attributes of spirit? Go ahead. Should have put it which way? I was going to reverse what I said. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so um, refresh us on some of those attributes of the spirit. You said love is in there? Yeah. E even hate's in there. Now, I'm not suggesting hate is a fruit of the spirit, but, but uh, we could put some attributes up here. Think of the fruits of the spirit. We can put those up here. Is that correct? Okay. Joy, let's put joy. Does, does the peace? Kramer? Reason. Reason. Think. Uh, feel, are you referring to emotions? Right. Think, reason, which is, uh, we're thinking about what, what God is capable of being spirit, which we are also capable of because we are fleshly containers and have a spirit within us. Patience. Oh, pa now we're going back to the fruits of the spirit, which I, I think is a, a good thing. Patience, think and reason, and we've got peace, joy, hate, love. These are things God is capable, capable of. These are things we are capable of. Yeah. Think and reason, these things can fall into here. Yep. Fruits of the Spirit. Attitude. A attitudes. Some of these, I'll put attitudes. Some of these are strictly attitudes. Some are, uh, some are attitudes and action, which love is one. 
And an attitude takes place and develops where? In our toes? In our, in our heart, which is the mind. Lysander? Anybody hear Lysander's question? Does a sinful man, or when a person sins, does he still possess the image of God? <clears throat> Lysander's using the word possess the image of God. We're talking about being created and made in the image of God, which means we possess the image of God. So the question, I think we would all nod our heads, yeah, we're, we're still made in the image of God, but what characteristic comes into play which we've been talking about? Obedience. Two, two, uh, no. Well, obedience is the outcome of being able to, being created with the ability to choose, choose the free will idea. Following me, Lysander? So look at the top of page 10, that's their point. From, we are not mere robots programmed to serve God out of necessity or being forced to. Instead of the emotions of love and thanksgiving of individuals made in the image of God. Indeed, we could hardly consider ourselves to be in the image of God if we merely served him from instinct, not choice. God desires free will agents to follow him. But what's necessary? With, with such freedom, what does that necessitate? The, yes. Right. So since we are not robots, we're, and we are given, uh, we're free will agents. By the way, a lot of people disagree with that concept. We're, that's the premise we're working on, that we're free, free will agents. Such freedom necessitates, and John read this, the end of that paragraph, the ability to choose disobedience. Or as Ken put it, obey or not obey. They're focusing on the disobedient side of things, and thus wickedness or evil consequences that harm come with that. That's, that's where it ties in this whole topic, right? Adversity, how to handle adversity and accept adversity. We may question the wisdom of God in allowing us such freedom, but consider two questions, and we'll get to those shortly. Ted, what's on your mind there? Give me an example. Okay. Oh, I see what you mean. It, their their whole idea of going around and forcing people to. Yeah. 
okay, that, that's, that's an interesting tangent to think about. Yeah, that, eventually that plays into this, yeah. Ken? Yep. Back in the garden, you mean? In the garden. Yep. Eventually, yep. How does Paul put it when the law came in? Sin increased? Well, that, that abounded. It abounded, yep. And it was, it was God's intent that it would abound. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah the law is very rich. It's, it, it, it had a very, uh, the, the old law had, some, I call it multi-purposes, and, and which we won't get into right now, but um, it does relate to sin and and how God was, was taking care of it. Yeah. And then uh, Paul says that uh, I, the law is spiritual. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. So it existed. Those concepts existed Okay, so we don't want to lose people, but um, yeah, the law, the law had its purposes. There was nothing wrong with it. Let me, let me uh, share with you something that um, a young woman over in the Burlington group, Kelly and I are friends with her on Facebook, and she brought up a, a question which, you know, can open a can of worms on Facebook, but her question was, uh, she was looking for thoughts on the idea of election and uh, predestination. All right? Now, I'm not intending to discuss what nor people normally call uh, name Calvinism, the whole teaching of Calvinism and all that we're not going to get into. I, I, but I was chewing on this week, chewing on it this week, Looking at how it's interesting how that topic kind of kind of relates to and overlays a little bit on what we're talking about here. So the idea of predestination and election is in the Bible, but the question is what what kind and who? What's being chosen and what's being predetermined? That's, that's a question, and Ephesians 1 really takes care of a lot of that, pointing out to us that the God, before the foundation of the world, chose the realm in which man would be saved, not, not each individual. But uh, the former evangelist at Burlington over there, since he's friends with this young woman also, 
he, he said he would send her some material on it. Kelly made a brief comment. I made a four-point comment. And then Je John, uh, the van former evangelist from over there, he's in Alabama right now. He, he responded, and he wasn't disagreeing with Kelly or I, but he, he made a statement which I thought was interesting. When you're talking about this whole idea of election being predetermined and salvation and all that, he says, we need to come to the place where the control of God, sovereignty is what a lot of people use that phrase, and the decision-making of mankind, you with me? The control of God and the decision-making of man intersect. Intersect. I'm going to have to put that up here. Control of God and the decision-making dash decision-making of human beings intersect. That's the place we need to find. Because we get into trouble if we swing too far one way or the, the other. If we say, no, God is not sovereign. He, has, he, he does not control anything in the world and all of its events and all that's going on, then we're going to struggle with a lot of the things we read here in the Bible. And if we swing over here, it's all about, it's all about us and <coughs> decision-making And there's, um, am I getting this right? There's, there's none of this, and there's all of that, or there's all of that, and none of this. We're, we're going to get into trouble. Because if we say no man has no ability to make decisions and no ability to choose, then we're bumping into this principle, right, that God created uh, man with the ability with, with free will and the ability to choose. If man can't do anything about it, then, um, you know, faith, faith, faith gets thrown out the window. What's that, Mo? Yeah, we're robots. Then we're back to that idea. <laughs> yeah. So, so then the, uh, you know, the Calvinistic points come into play about being born in sin and having no, no control over that and, and all that all that thing. But uh, I thought, okay, without getting too deep into Calvinism, this kind of interesting, just kind of keep this in the back of your mind. When we, <laughs> and we've already touched upon it, especially on this. You know, does, does God do certain things in this situation and actually make that happen? And um, I've often used the word allow, which is going to come up in this lesson, but I got to be careful with that concept. And, and then the decision-making part of it, you and I can relate to that, right? In terms of suffering, in terms of adversity, there are some things that we suffer because we made a bad decision, correct? <laughs> that's the choices and consequences thing, so that, that comes into play here. So I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting that these two concepts show up when you're talking about uh, election and Calvinism, predestination, and, and also adversity. This, what's God's part in it, and and what's our part in it? Ted. Well, somebody that's big into Calvinism. Yeah. How 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Um, and, and there's other passages we could use on that too. Uh, uh, the warnings about being aware of falling away, right? Ken? To what? Oh, right here? Which is, that's why I refer to Ephesians 1. That's, that's where you're getting at. Yep. That's the election. Yep. Where we've been elected, so how are we elected by us choosing Christ? We stand him. Everybody, okay, so what do you say to Ken? How do, how do we make that choice? Free will, and it's, it's there's, there's a certain word I'm looking for. It starts with an F. Faith. Faith, faith. yeah. Right? That's where faith comes in. Yep. Faith is trusting in Christ to, to connect us to the Father, reconnect us to the Father, because we, we, through sin, have lost that connection. There's the death part, the spiritual death. Look at uh, page 11 there. Do that question. That question. John, I'll have you read that question. All right, let's look at that uh, first one. Do we really prefer the alternative of no free will? Have you ever thought about that? And they're helping you here. Can you imagine a world in which there's no love or kindness shown to anyone freely? Can we imagine a world in which there's no love or kindness shown to anyone freely? That's a description of a robot I'm hearing. Gail? Okay, give me give me a taste of where there's no love or kindness in the society. Think we got to think history. Which a music concert? <laughs> no, no love or kindness. Okay, <laughs> I was thinking a little more broad, historical, tyrannical. Okay, that's what was in my mind. Nazi Germany, World War Two time period. Uh, not much love in that society, was there? And not a whole lot of free will either. Getting back to Gail's point. Ted. Okay, yeah. Ted was saying, how can you appreciate the good times if 
you uh, don't, don't experience the bad times. Yeah, we are right there. Real love if, if, the, if it's not something that really comes autumn, you know. Okay, so Ted, that's the last question in that paragraph. Um, would, in fact, love, would it have any meaning, meaning if there were no element of choice? Okay, so back to that illustration of my wife being a, a robot and programmed to love me, but she's programmed to do that. She's forced to do that. Does that have any meaning to me or to her, as, as Patrick pointed out? Definitely not to her, and to me, I'm going to get tired of that, right? <laughs> like I said, some, some men may think that's, that's really great, but it's not until she's got the ability to choose, for example, to go off and run off with another man, and yet she chooses not to and choose, chooses to remain uh, faithful to me, if we could put it that way, and vice versa. That means something to me, right? When she's got the choice of a gazillion other husbands out there, but she has chosen me and chosen to love me, that means something, right, Laverne? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, if love is... Right, and disintegrate, the marriage disintegrates. Yeah, Mo? Yeah. Now that now that's interesting though because because we can also think of uh, situations where marriages were arranged right and they lasted till death right now why is that why would that be Mo? Well, they have to learn. Okay. But oh, what 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 marriages in the Bible were arranged? Isaac and Rebecca. Can't really say Jacob and Rachel, can we? Because he 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 laid eyes on her, and that was. There were some Maria. Um, I was going to say Joseph and Mary, but that, I don't know if that was arranged. Definitely, but there, there are cultures where, we talk about this in a quote-unquote sermon, like in India, for example, parents bring in the children together and and there's been interviews of those children saying, well, why wouldn't we listen to the advice of our parents? They've lived longer than we have and have the experience. And so there's a mind, the mindset and the attitude's got to be in there that even if it's an arranged marriage, we are going to learn how to do this, right? 
Learn how to learn how to love and grow in it. And and that's going to keep it together. Would you agree with that, Mo? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if it works, if it works. Yeah, well, if, if that love grows. Right. Well, yeah. There's conditions. And and if this didn't exist, no free will, no choosing, then there would be no growth in that area, right? That's what they're saying. They're they're just uh, love would not have any meaning. Yes. Right, there's, there's the ultimate thing. I don't know if the back heard that, but uh, we've got to apply this to God the Father. If we had no, no free will and we were robots, it doesn't bring him any glory if he's programmed us to honor him and love him and serve him. But when we choose to do that, does that bring him glory and he's, is he pleased? Absolutely. Do not forget that point. Did you want to continue on that, Mo? Okay, yeah. They in that situation they again they have to they have to do this. Even if it's prearranged, they have to exercise this and learn how to do this. And trust is in there and learn how to have peace with one another and patience. Patience important in a marriage. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna arrange my kids' marriages. Go, go ahead. Did you hear that, Lane? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. They loved each other before it was over with. Yeah. And, um, Mo and I were discussing that. You probably didn't hear all that. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we want to wrap up. But the, apply it to God mainly. Just go to uh, that second dot there, bullet point. Has God merely abandoned us to all of the damage caused by evil people making evil choices? I'm putting the word evil in there instead of wicked. It's the same, same thing. Has God merely abandoned us to all the damage caused by evil people making evil choices? Remember lesson three. Some of you aren't going to remember that because you weren't here. The multifaceted concern of God for us. That's what lesson three was all about. Remember the plan that Christ has as first mentioned in Genesis 3.15. Okay, and then point three there. Uh, how could we summarize point three? It, it's uh, A, point three A, nature itself, because of the sin in Adam, of Adam and Eve, 
God changed the nature of the world and thus. Okay, so that's, that's a premise. Nature itself is now a place of hardship and difficulty, point A. The door was opened for disease and thus epidemics, famines, weather problems, earthquakes, and for the problems associated with man trying to maintain a living through the sweat of his brow. So uh, often we think of the consequences for Adam and Eve was, was deaths, being spiritually separated from God, out of the garden, and, and that's it. But the consequences attached to that, like disease, famines, pro and other problems that are associated with living in a world separated from God, outside of that garden, we we sometimes don't connect those two. And I think, you know, we think that all the, all the problems mentioned there are just kind of uh, random and arbitrary, but it's, it's connected with being in that situation of being separated from God. Right, Joyce? Right, and it connected with the idea of death. Uh, in, in B, death will eventually fall upon every person. And I, I, was, I was a little bit puzzled there because some of those passages are referring to spiritual death and some physical death, and he seems to be making the point of physical death. <clears throat> and those two are not the same. Uh, we struggle mightily against the very idea of dying, but our Bodies and the world in which we live are designed to ultimately bring about death. And it sounds like he's talking about physical death. It is certainly more disturbing when death comes catastrophically, but this is also a feature of the fallen world. Yeah. Yeah. If he had not sinned? Died physically? There in the garden? Remained in the garden? Yeah, I think they would have continued. Yeah. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. That's going to get into the uh, preterism theory, Terry, and I'm not going that way, so sorry. <laughs> yeah. If I'm, if I'm, yep. I know that's what preterists would say. Yeah. The realized eschatology theory, and I'm just not going to go that way. Sorry. If I'm going to go down that path, I'm going to and I agree with that philosophy. I'm going to sell my belongings, and I'm going to go to an island, and I'm going to just exist. Because there's no sense in doing what we're doing. There's no sense partaking of Lord's Supper or having elders or preaching the gospel. And um, I know that's one of the tenets of that line of thinking, and it it's just becomes a hole that we get lost in. So I'm not even 
going to spend time on this number three, except to read C.S. Lewis. God began to rule the organism in a more external way, not by the laws of the spirit, but by those of nature. Thus, the organs, no longer governed by man's will, fell under the control of ordinary biochemical laws and suffered whatever the inner workings of those laws might bring in the way of pain, senility, and death. What is he saying there? <laughs> Taking account why God tells us to pray. Right, and that's, he has not abandoned us. Yep. And that's lesson three again. Yep. Although an understanding of the implications of the fall will help us understand what makes the world function as it does, we tend to, I'm at the bottom here, 11. We tend to struggle with the question, why? Why does God allow it to continue in this way? Why did a specific, specific disaster occur as it did? There are two thoughts to consider in this regard. And I, I hate doing this kind of lecture reading, but I'm hoping you read it at home. But it's, for those of us who didn't, this, this is what they're uh, making some premises on here. When we dwell on the why, it is a sign that we fail to see what is really at stake. We must look beyond the tragedies and disasters and see God's ultimate plan to overcome Satan. We must be able to see God's focus on our individual salvation. This is the reason we laid the foundation of lesson three. It's also beneficial to dwell on this thought. Would a God who is willing to send his son to die for us really make life any more difficult than necessary for us to serve him? What's the answer there? No, he wouldn't make life more difficult for us. He, he, why? Because he has our best interests at heart. Now, so here's, here's the main one here, this last one. Uh, Larry, can you read that last paragraph on page 12? You might say, well, big deal, large-scale tragedies highlight the fact that something's wrong with the world. How many, how many don't know something's wrong with the world? 
intellectually, do we all know something's wrong with the world? Yeah. But it's not until, when do we start asking that question why down there, which on page 11, they're recommending us not to ask right away as the first question. But, but when does that start popping up? When it happens, yeah, that's right, John. Okay, when it starts happening to us. <laughs> that's absolutely right. I mean, it could be something... It could be something like losing your job all the way to the death of a loved one. Then we start asking questions. This past lesson six around. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't see your hand. And then I'll get Kim. Yeah. We make a choice. And God allows us to make a choice. If we if God brings us in or if we uh, if we give up our bodies to God and our spirit goes after him where we're going to go. A choice as to whether we're going to die spiritually, remain in spiritual death. We have the choice as to whether we're going to remain in, in spiritually dead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, physical deaths. How many Americans love to go to funerals? Mitch, how many Americans love to go to funerals? All right, right. Phys <laughs> so, so Kay loves to go to funerals. Kay doesn't mind going to funerals because she learned something. But Kay, Kay's a believer, right? How many... And a lot of believers are hesitant. How many unbelievers choose to think about physical death? They don't. Because there's, there's no hope. There's no, uh, that if they even have an inkling about the spiritual realm, they're spiritually separated from God. If they don't believe in God, they don't know what, many don't know what to believe in or they believe in something that takes them down a path that gives them no purpose. If you believe in a God's, in God's purposes, does that give your life purpose? Yeah, absolutely. Now, the re now in that point B, Laverne, he's, he's definitely talking about physical death, but the, the, some of the scriptures he puts there, they're relating to uh, a couple of them are spiritual death. So it looked to me like he was mixing, mixing and matching. But eventually, the, the two concepts we, we got to talk about together Ken, wrap this up quickly. Yes, well, we're out of time. Let's do it next week. There's that, there's that figurative death and spiritual and, 
implications. It's a great picture. All right, work on the lesson six for next week, please. Thanks. Yeah. Yep. Okay.